Have a seat. Grab your Bible if you have one. If you do not have a Bible, we have some that we would like for you to uh, borrow or have. If you're a second through fifth grader, then at this time you can make your way to the back so you can go down to your uh, age-relevant Bible study if you'd like. I would tell you all what they do down there, but you might all want to go down there. They have like a snack time and all kinds of stuff, so it's pretty cool. Um, 888 is the page that we're going to be on in the Black Bible, if you picked one up in the back. If you're new to the Bible, I want to help you find where we're going to be. 888, which is John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you came in after the service began and, and you're a guest, I want you to know that we're glad that you're here. My name is Russell, and I am the lead pastor of Neartown Church, and we're about a year and a half old, and it's been a really uh, incredible journey to to be used by God in the city and to work with other churches in this community to see transformation happen locally. And so uh, it's a really exciting thing when you begin to get a vision for what God might do in a city and people's lives. This series that we began a few weeks ago is called Retrace, Another Look at Life with Jesus Christ. Many people in this area of our world and area of our city have heard the name of Jesus. Some have accepted Jesus as a moral teacher. Others have rejected him as maybe not even somebody who even existed or maybe for whatever reason they've identified the person and work of Jesus with somebody who claims Christianity that they don't like, so they reject Jesus based on rejecting somebody they don't like. Or others, um, thank goodness, have received Jesus for who he is, and that is Lord, and it's begun transforming their lives. Well, in this series, what we've done is we've begun looking at the life of Jesus and how he interacted with people when he was on earth. And in doing so, what we want to do is look back at our own life and our own faith journey and retrace the steps of where we became, uh, so, where we came to what we believe about Jesus. And, and I was thinking this morning about this series, Retrace, and it reminded me a little of, if it's like, we're going into the stories about Jesus' life in, as recorded in the Gospels, and we're looking at this resume about him. How many of you have in the last year updated your resume and submitted it to somebody else? Go ahead and do it. I'm actually seeing if anybody on my staff has done it recently. Um, yeah, so what you've done in that is you've recorded a little bit about who you are, and you want the potential new employer to see who you are. And at the bottom of that resume, oftentimes there's uh, what's called references. And, and, and a good employer or, would, or a potential new uh, boss would call your references. And some of the things that they would ask is, well, what is this person like among his peers? Is he like, not like, how does he handle conflict? How, 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 what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? Is he self-aware? Things like this. And what they're doing is they're trying to figure out who you really are beyond just a surface level. Well, here's what we're, this is exactly what we're doing with Jesus. We want to discover who Jesus really is. And what our conviction is, is that Jesus is God in the flesh, making possible for people something they cannot do for themselves, and that is to restore people to God. Jesus came saying the, gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God is working in the world in a new way. He's providing peace and hope and restoration for broken people. Last week, we looked in John chapter 3 of when Jesus had a little bit of an interaction with Nicodemus, a, 
probably affluent religious leader. Nicodemus comes to him at night and asks him, um, Jesus, what, what's your message? What are you doing? Jesus begins to tell him about how he can be born again. Nicodemus says, born again? How in the world am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Jesus replies, no, no, I'm talking about you're going to be made. You can be made into a new creation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here we have an altogether different encounter because Jesus is not here interacting with a respected religious leader. He's about to interact with an immoral woman. Someone who's going to the well to draw water in the middle of the day by herself. Let's read in John chapter 4. And rather than reading it all and then going back and teaching, I want to read a little bit and teach, read a little bit and teach. And so you can keep your seat uh, as we read this passage. Um, Before I do, here's here's the main idea. Here's, Here's where we're going. Jesus transforms by filling our empty hearts. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus transforms by filling our empty hearts. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about a couple of things. We try to fill our own hearts with things that will leave us dry. And it's hard for us to believe that Jesus can know our need. But Jesus transforms by filling our, our empty hearts, which is what we'll see in this passage. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It's quite a few verses, so if you get bored, you can just get up and go get a donut or something, or, um, and then come back. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now, the Pharisees are a group of religious people. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, just a little geography here. It's interesting in the Bible when the writer tells you exactly where they are geographically. I think one reason is so that you'll know this is an actual event in an actual place. This isn't just allegory where, you know, some writer comes up with some story to teach us something about God. No, this actually happened. So he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Samaria was actually on the direct route from Judea, which is uh, in the south, and what is now like the area of Jerusalem, Middle East, and over that area. Um, And then Galilee is an area north. And so Samaria is right in between it. But there's a problem because the Samaritans are an ethnically different group than the Jews. And so Jewish people in traveling, traveling to Galilee, they would not like to go through Samaria. It was a way they were, they were being racist in, in some ways. They, they didn't like going that route. And there were parts of that route where, that could even be dangerous for them. But Jesus, let me, let me illustrate it this way. It's like if you're in San Antonio and you want to go to Dallas. Most people would go through Houston because they think Austin is weird. Right? No, I know. Austin's kind of like the sexiest new city in, in, uh, in Texas. But it's kind of weird like that. Like they would, they, would, they would go to Houston and then go to Dallas. But, but what Jesus has done, he's, he's taken a direct route from San Antonio to Dallas. And he's gone through Austin. I know, that just brought clarity to all of your minds. Okay. Um, 
So he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, a place to draw water. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, now, this is the middle of the day. Very uncommon for a woman to draw water by herself in the middle of the day. She's there because she's not an ordinary kind of a woman. She's in the margins. She's been marginalized. As a woman, she's in the margins in this Jewish culture. And the Samaritans are an ethnic, uh, ethnically different than the Jews in that their bloodline is Gentile and Jewish is the simplest way of explaining it. So the Jews saw them as unclean and different. That's why they didn't like them. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So Jesus is alone with this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It is uncommon for a Jew to acknowledge the presence of a Samaritan, much less to ask her for help. Not to mention, Jesus is a religious teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a respected. So in the Jewish society, he is esteemed. He's revered. So here Jesus is, he not only acknowledges her, but he engages her in a conversation. And here's what we see. Not only in this story, but we see throughout as we retrace the steps of Jesus. Jesus invites all people. Jesus invites all people. People from every different ethnic background, every different socioeconomic status, Jesus invites all people, people that believe all different kinds of things. Jesus invites all people to see him for who he really is. Jesus asks this woman for a drink. This woman says, how can you ask me for a drink? She's caught up in the temporary. She sees him as a Jew and herself as a Samaritan, and this is scandalous. Verse 10, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And clearly Jesus is trying to help her to understand that the conversation she's having with this man is different. It's unique. It's new. It it can offer her something different than what she's ever been able to provide for herself or whatever are different than what any man has been able to provide for her before. It's interesting to think about this because we, we believe, and the reason that we talk every single week about this is who Jesus is, I want you to see him for who he is, is because if you saw Jesus for who he is, you would ask him for living water. You would ask him to meet a need in you that you cannot meet in yourself. And the living water that Jesus talks about cannot be found anywhere else. It's actually a symbol here of, uh, of, of salvation and of life in the kingdom of God. It's the idea of living water. And when culturally uh, this Samaritan woman heard the phrase living water, she might have thought of like moving water, whereas this well had a kind of static, um, not moving, more stale kind of a water in the way that they understood it working. 
But Jesus is saying here, I've got a living water. I want you to know that Jesus transforms people. Jesus transforms our people. And this is the claim every week as we gather and open God's word together, is that Jesus transforms people. You being here is more than a religious choice or more of like an adoption of religious ideology. This is is our, our confession that Jesus transforms people's lives. This is why we're planting this church. This is why we equip people to live their faith among people who do not share our faith in Christ. And he transforms people by exposing the real place of emptiness in our hearts. This is the work of the Christ, to expose the places of emptiness within us. Now, when I say transforms people, many people accept the kind of change that first comes to mind when I say Jesus transforms people. Uh, What we think of First is the kind of transformation that comes from adopting the moral teachings of Jesus. Now, this is an important distinction because many people in our day, especially in this area of our country, area of our world, respect the teachings of Jesus, the moral teachings of Jesus. I've never, or at least not recently, met anybody in this area who reject the moral ideas of Jesus. And what I mean by the moral ideas are things like um, when, when Jesus teaches that real leaders know how to serve. I mean, if you, in your uh, place where you're most often during the week, maybe your place of work or among other parents or among your peers at school, if you said, hey, who in here believes that great leaders serve, know how to serve others? They, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, that's a moral idea. Or here's another one, harboring anger in your heart uh, toward another is not a good thing. Most people, like reasonable thinking people, could submit to that idea and go, oh yeah, okay, I could understand how that's not good. That's morally makes sense that harboring anger in your heart is not a good thing. These are the things that Jesus taught. Or, or treat others as you would like to be treated, right? Christianity is not the only place where we see these moral teachings. This is one reason that Christianity is rejected by some people, is that what they say is that, well, what Jesus is saying is no different than what a lot of other really good teachers have said. And so you choose Jesus, I choose the way of Buddha, or I choose uh, some sort of uh, Eastern kind of peace together ideology. And, and, and we're all cool. We're all going to be cool, right? Because in the end, in the, end the, the real aim is just to make the world a better place. You've heard that maybe. I I have. Maybe you feel like that. So when I say that Jesus transforms people, you might think, yeah, I'll take Jesus. I'll take his moral teaching. I'll get in the Bible and I'll learn how I should live. And I want you to know something. If you apply the moral aspects of Christianity to life, your life will be better off. And so will the lives of those around you. It will. It will benefit you. But the difference here is in the area of your heart. Choosing to allow Jesus to transform you goes far beyond you just adopting moral law, moral rules. Choosing to let Jesus change your life is you saying, I need my heart to be transformed 
because I cannot do it on my own. Our heart is where the issue lies. Our heart is where sin dwells. Let me tell you something. Sin dehydrates our hearts. These religious leaders that eventually crucified Jesus, they had a moral law But the real issue for them was in their hearts, which had died. So what we talk about here when I say that Jesus transforms people begins with me saying that Jesus transforms us by exposing the places of our emptiness, which is our hearts, not just our day-to-day behavior. Because the truth is, you can only manage your day-to-day behavior so long while ignoring the real root of the issue, which is your heart. And within every one of our hearts is an inclination to hate God and rebel against God. When we say yes to Jesus, what we're saying yes to is we're saying, yes, God, I need you to transform my heart because I cannot learn to deal with my anger on my own. There are not enough self-help classes out there to provide the band-aids that I need morally. I need you to change my heart. I need you, Jesus, to give to me a water that's different than all these other wells that I've been going to. This woman, she did not understand what Jesus was saying. I can kind of identify with her, right? That's a little bit of a thinker. And go, okay. Verse 11. The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And how, you know, in other words, how are you going to give me this living water? She's so focused on the external. Where, where do you get that living water? Where is it? Is it in this other religious ideology? Is it in this other relationship? Is it in this other job? This other amount of money? This other car or this other house? I mean, where, 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 do, you, where do you get this living water, this thing that's going to satisfy me so that I can never thirst again? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons of his livestock. She's talking about this physical location. She's missing it. What we see is that Jesus knows what people need. He knows what we need. And what he must first do for this woman and for each of us is expose our failed attempts at meeting our own needs. He must expose us. This is what we must repent of and turn away from. Trying to fill our soul's deepest needs with something other than the salvation provided by God through Jesus. This is what we repent of. The things that we've made into idols. We repent of that. And what Jesus is doing here is before she can taste or drink deep of this living water, she must first have exposed her failed attempt at satisfaction and at joy and at peace and at something that will meet her need. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm sure her mind is just blown at this point. Like this guy's, what in the world is he saying? The woman said to her, him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is about to expose her. Because before she can receive what Jesus has to offer, she has to honestly look within her own heart to see the places where she's failed time and time again to meet her own needs. She has to see the sin within her life. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus presses beyond that. You're right. And saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So here's a woman. The reason that she's going to the well during the day by herself is because she's an immoral woman. She's had multiple husbands, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. The well that she's gone to time and time again is and trying to find a relationship with a man that was satisfied. But it's left her dry. And when Jesus comes along and offers to her living water, she recognizes how dry she is. She's been exposed. She's tried to fill her heart with this male companionship. But it runs out daily. It's interesting here in this moment to see that the most loving thing that Jesus can do to her is expose her sin. Oftentimes when we hear about sin and think about the wickedness of our own hearts, we take that as God being harsh with us. But the most lovingly, the most loving thing that God can do to us is expose the places that we run to to be filled up that will leave us dry and empty. Jesus loves her and so exposes her. And once she recognizes the places she's gone to to get water that leave her dry, she can then receive what Jesus has to offer. Maybe for some of you, You've adopted the moral rules of Jesus, but you've never truly acknowledges, acknowledged the place in your life and the places in your heart that need to be exposed by God, the sin in your heart, the wickedness in your heart. Maybe you continue to go to those wells for satisfaction and you try to adopt the moral law of Jesus. You're no different than this woman. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And so right now through your mind, I trust that God is revealing to all of us the wells that we tend to go to 
that will leave us dry. What is it? This woman needed to face her sin, and so do we. And we know we've truly faced our sin if we see our being exposed as an act of love, grace, and mercy. Because it's in that place that we can truly say, God, fill me with the living water, with life. What is that well for you? And even after you've received the living water for the first time, from that point on, and, and for maybe even every day until you're dead or Jesus returns, the end, your heart will be drawn back to those wells. You'll, you'll find yourself lapping up water. You know what I mean. Lapping up water from things that you want to satisfy you, but really what you just need is Jesus. What is that for you? This woman is quite moved by Jesus at this point. Her heart has been changed. She says to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Okay, you're more than just a guy that came here to get water. You're something special. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Now what she's doing here is she's trying to make this a religious issue. You see, the Samaritans, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but to help you understand it, the Samaritans believed that the place to worship God was in this area near in Samaria, this actual physical mountain area in Samaria. The Jews believed that the place to worship God was in Jerusalem. And so that's another point of tension religiously between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans say, no, this is the mountain we're going to worship God because this is where Jacob set it up. And the Jews said, no, it's in Jerusalem. And so what this woman is doing in this moment, although she acknowledges that something's unique about Jesus, what she's saying is that maybe this is just a religious decision. You choose Jerusalem, I choose Samaria. So Let's just agree to that. Here's what Jesus says to her. Essentially what he says to her is this isn't about religion. This is about a savior. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Here's what he's saying. Hey, this thing that I'm talking about, this living water, is, is, is introducing to the world the capacity for people to worship regardless of where they live or where their church building is. This isn't about religion. This is about a relationship with a Savior who provides living water. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know 
that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She still doesn't totally understand who Jesus is. And Jesus just tells her, I am, or I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine that moment? What would it have been like to be there with this man, to have just yourself exposed, your heart exposed in his presence like this? I imagine that for this woman, it was really, really incredible because maybe for the first time in her life, there was this man who took an interest in her, like genuine interest in her and her heart. Here is this man, Jesus, who we believe is the Savior, telling her it's not about religion, it's about having your heart engaged by God the Father, our sin exposed, and life in the kingdom. I wonder what she'll do next. Look in verse 28. Skip down a bit. So when the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to all the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 39. Skip down even further. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This woman, who had been going to these wells that leave her thirsty, met the one who could quench her thirst eternally. It began to change her life. Her only response was to go tell others. This is the story of the gospel. So my questions for you are this. Have you ever allowed God to expose your sin and receive that as an act of love and entrusted Jesus as Savior. If you've never done that, it doesn't matter how Christian you look. There's not a heart change if that hasn't happened. For those of you that have received Christ, you've tasted of that living water, what are those wells that you tend to go to time and time again? What are those places where that that you look to on earth because they're so easy and immediately satisfying? Is it ambition in your job? Maybe it's a relationship that you seek satisfaction from but you just are left wanting. Maybe it's even your ability as a parent, your success as a parent. Is it for you a economic status? You really honestly believe if you just had more money, you'd be more satisfied. Let me tell you something. I make a whole lot more money than I did when I was 22 years old. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Maybe for you, you continue to run back to that well because you don't know how to engage the Savior. What is that well for you? Would you be willing this morning to just confess it to God? Would you bow your heads together?